Hey team, it's Ando here. 2022 is a big year for Australian rugby, and we at Pick and Drive Rugby want to be in the thick of it, but we need your support. We want to attend post-match press conferences to ask your questions. We need more interviews with players and coaches to give you the insights that you want into the game they play in heaven. And we want better recording equipment to create a superior listening experience for you. If you like what we do, and let's be honest, even if you don't, please consider getting involved and sending us a tip. All donations will be put straight back into the podcast. We do this for love, not money, but every little bit counts. So please go to ko-fi.com slash pick and drive rugby. You can give us $1, you can give us 5 whatever is within your budget, we would be incredibly appreciative for. Thank you for your support. Let's get back to the pod. Wade Cooper, for the win, it's on its way, it's on its way, it's gone, Wade Cooper is the man. Hi there and welcome to Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast, we're diehard rugby fans having a weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby, we're real family friendly and positive so get involved. Get involved. Mitch, you've been away for the week, mate, in sunny Queensland. How has it been up there north with all of them? Yeah, it was good. We got away from the Sydney rain, from what I've heard. It was pretty torrential down here in Sydney for the week. So as we were leaving Brisbane today, it started to rain. So I think we've swapped over nicely. and Hopefully we've got some nice weather in Sydney for the next few days. Uh, mate, I think it's going to be raining for the rest of the month or something like that. Oh, actually, okay. there's not many days left, but it's going to be raining for a fair while still. Okay. Um, you got to head out to Suncolt for the game on the weekend. I did. I did. It was uh, it was great. It was great to be out there and, was you know, watched a lot of rugby at Suncorp in the last few years. So, having never been there before, it was great to get out to the fortress and kind of see how it compares to Sydney and, and see what the crowds were like and what the atmosphere was like and... It was my first time going to a away game for the Waratahs, which was interesting as well. It was me and my brother were there with a few mates and um, in the sea of red, and we were up dancing a few times when the Waratahs did something fun, and it was it was good. It was good. <laughs> That's great. I mean, we'll talk about the game itself a little bit later, but in terms of the stadium, how good is Suncorp? I love the verticality of it, how even when you have seats that are maybe a bit further back, you feel like you're still pretty close to the action. Yeah, no, it's been designed very well and you you are, I would say it's similar to the feel at Combank Stadium uh, in Parramatta in Sydney, uh, how wherever you sit, you don't feel very far away, but it holds probably twice as many people as that. So it's been designed very well and it is great to be at one of those rectangular stadiums and it hopefully it uh, will be replicated nicely for the new stadium that the Waratahs are going to be playing it later this year. Well, he's hoping. Why don't you take us through the social platforms and we'll kind of keep jumping on into things all right so we're on instagram at hashtag pick underscore drive underscore rugby we're on facebook at the pick and drive rugby podcast page and we're also on twitter at pick underscore drive rugby brilliant well now that we've covered that i just want to quickly again say thank you to our supporters on coffee.com for the support that they're providing for the pod any donations are hugely accepted and they go straight back into improving the quality of what happens here on the show so go to coffee.com ko-fi.com slash pick and drive rugby mitch over to the Superbrew yellow cap awesome and just another update on what we're doing with some of the funds that have come through so one of the things we're working on currently is we get closer to halfway through the season is putting some trophies together for the winners of the Super Brew um, competition this year. So there will be something nice put together with your name on it that we will be able to send out, which is fantastic. And we also do have the the shield that we put together last year, so your name will also go up on the Pick and Drive Rugby Super Brew shield as well. So do get involved in that. And um, if you want to, if you're up the top of the table, and if you want your trophy to be a bit bigger and nicer than it might be, <laughs> uh, then definitely look at coffee as an option. <laughs> but um, looking at the results for Super Brew this week, we do have Ember in first place on 27 points, followed by Elte, also on 27 points, but uh, he's gone down this week, or they've gone down this week in the second place. Ember's jumped on top. Um, and then we've got Kirando Ke- in so third place. It's either Kirando or Kirando, and I like yeah. to think it's Kirando. Yeah, I'm not quite sure if it's Kiran and Doe or, or <laughs> Kiran and O. Or Kirando, or I don't know. Either way, they're coming third. They're coming third. I won't talk about where I am this week. Because <laughs> no, it's... neither, mate. Bloody neither. 
It's horrific. Um, the Yellow Cap winner for this week, though, is SDC. Very well done. Um, 6.5 match points and a huge 0.83 bonus points. So that puts them in the lead at this point in time. And I so do well want to give done. a shout out, but I haven't got it up in front of me. I don't. Do you have the results up in front of you, Andrew? Who got no, the Moana Pacific no. game right? I oh, did remember looking over the weekend, there was two people that got that game right um, and got the upset, but I don't know if that was because they forgot to put their tips in and got the home team or not. But two people out of 120-something got that game right. So, well done to both of those players. <laughs> I'll see what I can quickly find. Um, so, why don't you, whilst I'm looking for it, take us through the um, take us through the, what we're going to be talking about this episode whilst I see if I can find that for you. Perfect. So, we'll start off with a little bit of spicy news that is broken today around Simon Cron and the Western Force. Uh, also talk through some potential player movements as well that's come out today around the Western Force. It is a very... Western-centric podcast today, which is not a bad thing by any means. And then we'll get go through the round six review. Um, and yeah, we're going to try and keep it quite short and sharp this week. We're both not feeling 100%. So we'll try and keep this relatively spicy and, and quick to the point. So we'll see how we go. Brilliant. So Thallium picked Moana Pacifica by five. So that is just absolutely incredible to actually get it right on the nose. And RFK picked Moana Pacifica by three. So the two of them out of the 120 something plus people in our league uh, were the only ones to get the pick correct. So very, very well done. Why don't we move on now and touch on the spicy news? Let's go. It is time to get into the spicy news now, and we are heading across to the Western Australia where all of our news focuses for today. And this news was broken early this morning. And the news is that Tim Sampson, current coach of the Western Force, has not been reappointed to extend his contract when it comes to the end of it at the end of 2022. And it has been announced today that Simon Cron, uh, former Waratahs assistant coach and is now head coach of Toyota Verblitz in Japan, is taking over as the head coach of the Western Force from 2023. Now, Ando, this is big news. Uh, I won't say it's un, it's not unexpected. There's been a lot of talk around Tim Sampson potentially not getting the results that the, the club might have wanted since their inset reintroduction to Super Rugby AU. Um, what are your thoughts around this, first of all? I think... Um... Let's start with Samson before we then talk about the kind of Kron's introduction. I think Samson, considering all of the challenges that he's had to face within his tenure, has done... I'm not going to say he's done remarkably well, but I think he's been he's, he's done a decent job. When you think about the challenges of basically building a super rugby team on NRC foundations and then needing it to be competitive within its first season, that in and of itself is a challenge. Then you're hit by COVID travel restrictions in the first two years of your time back in a competition and the need to then regenerate the team as some of the imported talent that you've had that you had in that first season um, needs to get turned over looking towards the future. And so they've in really challenging, in a really challenging context, I think he's done quite well and it's been a really hard job. Mm. So no matter what you can say of whether or not he could maybe have done better. I don't think there can be any doubt in terms of the quality of the contribution that he's personally made or the, um, the personal effort that he's made into the role. A lot of the news or what are the reactions coming out of the Western Force faithful are kind of really heartbroken about it, particularly because of the nature of the announcement being at something like 4 a.m. Western time uh, with a very brief announcement on the, so on the club socials. So just a quick question for you there, mate. I mean, we don't have the specific answer yet to this question, but what do you reckon the deal is with the 4am announcement uh, on the club website rather than a slightly longer, maybe more meaningful type of video that goes through the reasons for the show? Like some, some, mm. something that's a bit more fitting for a coach of um, that, who, who's that well-respected within a team yeah. and a community. Look, I, I don't know. I, I don't think there is a specific outlet that I've got in mind, but I, I have a a thought that maybe the news was leaked a little bit and mm -hmm. one some other outlet has run with it and run with that story earlier than the Western Force were ready to. And so they needed to, you know, save face in some way and say and just confirm the rumor that, that that has been what happened. 
um, yep. because otherwise it looks bad for them if they don't say anything and they were looking at doing something in a few months and, and just wait out the season. And, and then when Michael Cron gets, oh, sorry, Simon Cron gets there later in the year as he prepares for 2023, that's when they can start that handover. But I feel like someone in the media might have leaked this story a little bit early. There's, there's Twitter rumors around, going around about the fact that Simon Cron has been signed or Tim Sampson will not be the head coach next year. And so that's probably not the look that you want for the coach that's leaving who's done as best he can for the club in the last few years in very difficult situation. Yep, agreed. Now, shifting it then across to Simon Cron. I mean, he was um, kind of earmarked to be taking the TARS job during a kind of tumultuous time where Rob Penny was on the verge of getting the flick before he then got re-signed with the full support of the board only to get axed like six weeks later. Um, so, But then as soon as they say, oh, no, Penny's got the job, he then re-signed for the Blitz. So when then when they sacked Penny... Cron wasn't available. How do you feel about the fact that Cron is now going to be heading over to the Western Force instead of um, what he could have been, which was the Waratahs coach? I take my Waratahs hat off for a minute, which is very hard to do. Um, (laughs) I think it's great that Simon Cron has actually got a super rugby contract, particularly an Australian super rugby contract. He very much wanted to, to get that Waratahs head coach role. And he put a lot of work and time into that. And he came through the pathways through Norse and through the Shoot Shield and then into New South Wales rugby only for the contractual timings to not really align properly. Um, It's unfortunate that that happened from a New South Wales fan perspective. But the fact that things have now signed up or lined up and he's now getting that, that second shot, I think it's a really good thing. I think it's a good thing for Australian rugby, first of all, to have two super... two coaches who have come through the pathway system so two coaches who so we're talking about simon cron now and darren coleman are both coaches who have had success at the shoot shield level they've come through that system they know the importance of that um they've also both got experience in coaching in australian rugby in general so they've had some experience as well up in queensland and they they know that system as well it's not just new south wales centric um i I think it's a really good thing that we've, we've got these two coaches in the pathways that are now getting that shot at the top level. And we're not just looking at bringing in Kiwi coach after Kiwi coach after Kiwi coach to try and plug that hole that seems to be a bit of a trend maybe two or three years ago. Well, I mean, it is interesting because Cron is Kiwi. Um, but the fact that he spent so much time in the shoot shield, he actually has said before that he sees himself as an adopted kind of Aussie um, and that he I wants to settle down. And you would say he's... He's born and schooled in New Zealand, but I think he's done all of his, like 95% of his professional coaching in Australia. Yeah, cool, cool. Um, and, I mean, his dad is a all-black, all his uncle, sorry, is the all-black scrum coach, Michael Cron. Um, thanks to Nelson Dale as well for some of the background info as well on this one because I'm a little bit newer to the scene and didn't so, know so much about Cron. Um, but he has, he seems to be a really, really good option because the last few years like you mentioned he's been at Toyota for Blitz and he's been under Steve Hansen there as the director of rugby so he's had one of the best rugby brains in the world being his immediate and direct boss so there's got to be a lot of professional development and growth that comes from being in that environment Mm -hmm. and Michael Hooper when he was there supposedly rated Kron quite highly uh, during his time at the club on his Japan sabbatical Um, an interesting point that I was thinking of in terms of this and I mean Look, I don't really have a hot take or anything like that in terms of Cron's appointment. I was just thinking that the force in many ways are setting themselves up for really strong growth within the country over the next five years. If they can be keeping Cron for about a five-year period, if not a little bit longer, um, they have basically a, a... I'm not sure if this is the right language, but like a singular ecosystem that revolves around them from a rugby union perspective over in the West. Mm -hmm. They are the only super rugby team. Um, They have one um, domestic competition that will obviously be feeding straight up to the force. They have had recent investment in their um, facilities. They have a rich sugar daddy who can just pump untold millions into club development and finances and they have a really strong and loyal supporter base who despite the challenges of um, 
getting cut from Super Rugby have remained loyal and faithful. So there's a lot going in their favour. And I just really hope that they're one of the people or one of the clubs that have been working, particularly with um, Gainline Analytics and taking on some of what they've been talking about because they don't have the financial constraints that the other clubs do to be investing in the pathways, alignment and facilities. So they are probably the best team in Australian rugby um, in terms of positioning to take advantage of some of those things that Gainline Analytics speak about. Mm, Definitely. And I think I've got two hot takes that I'll say around this scenario. The first is how good it is to have um, a a sugar daddy that's willing to to back any decision you want. Uh, I think a big part of Simon Cron's inability to get out of his contract with Verblitz when the Waratahs came knocking was the fact that they probably weren't matching or exceeding the the money that he was getting in Japan. Whereas from the reports that have come out today, it sounds like... Twiggy has personally sat down with Simon Cron and his wife and they've spoken around where Twiggy first of all sees the club going, but he's probably also had a blank checkbook there and said, what do I need to, what figure do I need to put down here to get you out of that contract in Japan and get you over to Western Australia? So that's a good thing um, to, to get that uh, experience and that coaching level back in Australia. So that's not, don't take that the wrong way. I think it's fantastic to have that kind of backing that is able to secure that talent. Um, yep. The second hot take is Simon Cron was the assistant coach, I believe, for the under-20s. Um, he's coached in the NRC. He's got a really strong connection with the players that he has coached in the past. He took North, uh, North Sydney into the Sydney Shoot Shield to their first victory in 40 years and from all reports had a really strong bond with all the players there. It'll be interesting to see, particularly in this off-season, in the 2022-2023 off-season, what players and talent he can lure away from the East Coast, um, particularly from that under-20 side that is just stacked with talent um, to get over into the West. So I think Western Force fans have a lot to be happy about around this appointment. And it'll be interesting to see how, when Simon Cron arrives, how he starts to shape his team for 2023. Yeah, really some interesting calls there. Um a couple of other things that have come out as well. There'd already been the news of Jake McIntyre, who was going to be leaving the force. I believe he's heading over to France to Perpignan. So that obviously provides greater impetus in, and direction as to why they've been giving Rishan Passatora a lot more time earlier within the season for the force. Uh, but the biggest loss is the news today that's come out the, from Chrissy Doran that Fergus Lee Warner is going to be leaving the force. I haven't yet seen exactly where he's going. I wonder if maybe a checkbook will be get thrown at him to keep him. Um, but that will be a really significant loss because as we spoke about last week, he's been one of the most consistent performers within their team. The work rate that he shows is kind of unparalleled within the force structure. And he is developing really, really well across a lot of facets of his game. So he'll be a big loss and be really challenging to replace. Do you know how old he is as a player? I'll look it up right now. I was just going to say, I think he, like, as unfortunate that he has not been selected so far for the Wallabies, I think he's getting to that point in his career now where he probably won't get selected this year or next year if he's not in that current 40-man squad that Dave Rennie has announced. And so he's going to have to wait to really push and make his claim for the 2027 World Cup uh, in Australia. But I don't know if he's got that much rugby left in him. He'd be 33 by then, so probably not. Yeah. But he might still be playing rugby, but maybe not at an international level. Yeah, correct. And, I mean, we spoke about the his lack of inclusion within the Wallaby squad um, last week in detail, so I don't think we'll go into that again. But you're right. It's probably just a great opportunity for him to be going maybe to France, maybe to Japan, and just making some much-needed money mm-hmm. in kind of the prime of his career since the international opportunities aren't available for him at this point in time. And who knows, maybe he has an Irish grandmother yeah. or something like that. That's that what I was going to say. Maybe with. he um, he had a Guinness at a pub somewhere once and they can get him an <laughs> Irish jersey. Who knows? Who knows? Well, let's keep an eye on that one. But I think we can kind of cross off the spicy news, mate. And yep. why don't we continue on into the round six review? Let's go. Hey. 
We head now to week six of Super Rugby Pacific and it brought some incredible games. We're going to start off with possibly the most significant moment in Super Rugby Pacific so far, which was Moana Pacifica defeating the Hurricanes in the opening match of the of the round in extra time. First time a match this season has gone to extra time and Moana Pacifica clutched it with an absolutely incredible try. So, Mitch... I mean, were you up out of your seat cheering when you saw that try go over to Danny Tawala in the kind of, what, third or fourth minute of extra time? Yeah, it was very exciting uh, when that happened. We were in our Airbnb apartment in Brisbane and we had received some notifications around uh, noise complaints and, and making sure you don't exceed the noise levels and all this sort of stuff. Uh, <laughs> when that happened, I was up cheering and jumping and my wife had to come in from the other room and tell me to be quiet or we might get kicked out of the apartment. So, <laughs> had to cull the, the response pretty quickly. But no, it was so exciting for to see that um, outcome of the game and, and not even just the fact that, first of all, I didn't see it coming. When they sent that kick long, I thought, oh, that that's not the option. But then to run through and, and to beat the fullback to the ball and, and to t- tow it through and then l- land on it was fantastic. But I was really expecting for the first golden point of the year it to be kicked by a field goal. I didn't expect a team to get the try. Um, and it yeah. was so exciting. I just thought it was fantastic. It was it was so good. I mean, look, there's a few big points, but the fact that the uh, that Moana were able to score a try in the 76th minute, um, Solomoni Funaki got the absolutely fantastic try. Lilia Fano then converts it. And then this huge moment where the Hurricanes then get the restart, creep the ball upfield. In the 79th minute, they get a line out maybe like 20 metres out from, or maybe 40 metres out from Moana. Uh, defensive line and Moana just do this incredible line out defense steal the ball away and then Timo Stowers is able to kick it out uh, off the resulting scrum in order to force it to extra time there were just these really big moments where Moana stepped up and that man Henry Timo Stowers was absolutely incredible throughout the whole match I am very glad I picked him up in my fantasy team for this week (laughs) Yeah, it's it's been great to see a player of his caliber and his ability get a good start at Super Rugby. We know that he played for the Brumbies for a few years and he was kind of that second or third choice behind the the starting um, back row. So the fact that he's now gone to Moana Pacifica, who has this really good um, grounded respect for their culture and um, sort of like this manner that flows through that team, like they just all seem so clicked in and so culturally aware of each other's backgrounds and things. It's just fantastic. Um, and a player like that really does gel in that kind of environment. And I think it, it has shown in the performances he's put out on the field this year. Um, this one was by far his best performance being the third game. I might just rattle through a couple of key takeaways for me and then throw it back to you for anything you want to say before we move on because we are trying to be somewhat quick tonight. Yep. Um, I think that this was a really interesting match because in in a lot of ways, I reckon the Hurricanes were the ones that bottled it. Uh, They were just uncharacteristically poor. Um, Jordy Barrett missed like two touch finders nearly in a row late in the first half. Their line-out was inaccurate across the vast majority of the game. The scrum was inconsistent as well. Um, They did have uh, Hayden Morgan as the new starting 10. Um, He was a debutant, I believe, and he he was really, really good. He played very well across the whole match. But at one one point within the first half, the penalty count was 13 to 1 against Moana. And how a quality team like the Hurricanes aren't able to capitalise on a 13 to 1 penalty count and put the game at least more beyond doubt than they did is really disappointing and I'm sure that the uh, kind of post-match review that they did yes uh, today on Monday is going to be pretty uncomfortable for a lot of those players. Yeah, definitely. And I think one of the things we've seen this year is a lot of teams have come into the, the rounds against the new two teams, so Fiji and Ndrua and Moana Pacifica and probably expected it to be a bit of an easy victory and, and an easy bonus point win for them. Uh, and Moana have proven, and Fiji have proven a handful as well, but Moana particularly have proven that they're no pushover team. They pushed the Crusaders right to the end a few weeks ago, and now they've got their first victory against the Hurricanes team, who, although probably not their 100% team, the team that would play should they make sort of the Super Rugby Pacific final, it wasn't a slouchy team by any means. It wasn't their B-grade side. They still had TJ Perinara out there. They still had uh, Geordie Barrett. So they had their full 
most of their full strength players there did rest a few. I mean, no, no Surveyor brothers either, which might pretend, would have potentially come back to bite them, I think. Um, but yeah, they've, they've really shown this, this team has the potential to, to cause some upsets. And it'll be really interesting moving forward now, particularly in this week, to see how they go because Moana Pacifica has two games this week against the Blues. They play their first on Wednesday, and then I think the second game's on Saturday. So it'll be interesting to see how both teams, both Moana and the Blues, handle that with the selections they go with and have that short turnaround. Yeah, I think the Moana game's on Tuesday versus the Blues. I think it's tomorrow night. Um, yeah, but they play again on Saturday. Yeah, yes. Yeah. You said Wednesday. So I think oh, it's did Tuesday. I? Sorry. Tuesday, Tuesday. Saturday. Yep. Tuesday. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Well, why don't we head over to the next match of the round, which was a fellow newcomer, the Fijian Ndrua versus the Rebels. It was a Rebels home game, and the Ndrua went down 42 to 27. I never would have thought that the Rebels could score 42 points in a match this season, uh, but they've gone ahead and done it, so well done. Yep. Um, and really, this was... I mean, obviously, it's the best performance of the season, but there were some excellent performances from players across the park. I think Matt Phillip was a standout. Yeah. Uh, Brad Wilkin was deserved man of the match as well. He had a fantastic game, um, particularly in his defensive ability, pilfering the ball multiple times throughout the match. Um, I, In my opinion, this game was largely kind of decided in the opening kind of half hour. You had nine Drua and Drua handling errors within the first 30 minutes. Yep. And for a team that prides itself on its continuity and attack and its ability to throw the ball around, but with like effectively throw the ball around, um, that was really, really poor on their behalf and something that they'll need to be tightening up in future weeks. Yeah, definitely. And I think Mick Byrne and the whole Fijian and Drua team would be very disappointed, first of all, with the result. Uh, but they beat the Rebels last time they played them. And for for the Drua team, they were probably looking at this as the only other team in the competition at the moment that they're probably able to beat. Um, they're still not really able to get above the teams uh, above the table other than the Rebels. Um, and then to go down 42 to 27 was quite disappointing. Uh, they... They, as they often do, they left it late and they did come back mm. quite strong. I think they scored three tries in the space of six or seven minutes um, towards the end of the second half there. And they were pushing the Rebels. And had the Rebels not scored um, right before full time to extend that lead, they potentially could have lost it as well. I think at one point, 70, 74th, 75th minute, I think the score was 27-32 or something. So it it did get tight there at one point. But as we've seen, the Fijian and Drua come into games and sort of start slow and build and then push late. And that's what we saw last time when they played the Rebels is they started slow, but they uh, around that 35, 40-minute, 40 45-minute mark, that sort of middle 20-minute uh, 20 period around the halves, that's when they started to get their continuity together and they started to take control of the game. And that's when they blew past the Rebels and, and just weren't able, the Rebels weren't able to get back into that game. Whereas in this instance... The Rebels didn't let them do that. They didn't let mm. the Fijian um, team take control. They were still scoring some freakish tries, which I think any team in Super Rugby would have struggled to, to stop. Some of those tries were just, um, you know, Fijian flair throwing the ball around crazy. <laughs> Attacking from their own 22. Scoring running, a try from your own 22. Yeah, exactly. Like minute, running like full field and, and not doing the generic rugby thing of just kicking it to, to avoid getting it out of your 22. Um but they did. They they didn't. They left their run too late. So I think it's something that the team will be working on, and hopefully in the in the coming weeks we can see the Fijian and Drua stay within games more consistently for the full eighty minutes. Yeah, I mean it's one of the best opportunities to actually be attacking in that uh, when you, when you're bringing a ball out of your own twenty-two because the defensive team always have two players in the backfield ready to receive a kick, at least maybe even three. And so that means you've got a reduced defensive line. I mean, Michael Cech used to speak about it um, when he was coaching the Wallabies and how that's some of the reason why he tried to get his players to play that attacking style of rugby, even exiting mm. their own zone. But we just didn't have the kind of skill set um, or mentality to go along with it, whereas the Indrua definitely do. Yeah. Uh, one quick thing that we might finish with, if that's okay, just mm. to keep on rolling, yep. is um, I thought that the senior players within the Rebels really stood up this week. I thought yeah. Matty Tuamua was good this week at 10. He played uh, a little bit. He, he mixed up his depth, sometimes flatter, sometimes deeper, but he was just a lot more. It seems like the players that were running off him had better lines where they were kind of challenging the defence more effectively than what we've seen previously. Yeah. Um, and Reese Hodge had a really strong game 
a couple of his um, kicks for touch were absolutely incredible. He did one in a 28th minute um, when it was 11-0 to get the ball like right on the Indrua try line. And then the very next player, Ulysi, goes over for a mall try. So that was fantastic to see. Um, any other? Oh, and Frank Lamani for the Indrua. He is up there as one of the best flight, uh, scrum halves within yeah. the Australian conference. Um, he's playing with speed accuracy the width on his pass in both directions is really impressive um his return for the indrua is fantastic and i'm really really looking forward to seeing him play throughout the rest of the season yeah and i think we highlighted a few weeks ago and we just said that frank lamani was a player that is very pivotal to fiji international team success so the fact mm-hmm. that they were able to lure him back to play for the indrua is fantastic um and i'm looking forward to seeing a player like ben volavola hopefully sign for them in the next few years uh, to get him back in Australia, uh, or back in Super Rugby, but back in Fijian colours and really be able to build that uh, cohesion with the players around him. And I think that's one of the things that this Fijian team has the ability to do now that they're included in Super Rugby. All right, moving on to the final game of Friday night, played over in Perth. It was the Force versus the Brumbies. And this was an incredibly close-fought match with the Brumbies getting up 39-38. to 38. Very, very tight game. Um, commiserations to the Force. In some ways, they deserved the win. But what were a couple of your key takeaways from this match, mate? Well, first of all, I was happy because it was my first uh, pick of the week that I got right. So I, I <laughs> went for the... Hurricanes and Indrua Me too, in actually. the previous Me two too. picks. So yep. well done to the Brumbies for hanging on there because I definitely did not want to be going zero from three going into Saturday. But um, very tightly contested game and we will talk about the red card and I think that was the turning point from that point on when when Tom Banks got that red card and went off concussed. And remind me, Endo, what minute of the game was that? Was that like... 35, 36? It was very, very early. I'm just quickly getting it up right now for us as we're having a look. Yeah, so from that point on, the force... Uh, sorry, the Brumbies really look like... What was it? 28. 28. It was that early on. Wow, okay. Yep. I thought it was closer to the half. That's fine. Um, but from that point before that, the Brumbies really looked like they were cruising through this game and they were scoring some pretty easy tries and the force were falling for the dummy like they were doing a few weeks ago as well. Um it didn't really look like they were being challenged too much by the force defense. Uh, and it looked like the Brumbies were in second gear and were just sort of going through the motions and scoring some easy points. When they got that yellow card, or the red card to Tom Banks, it sort of seemed to light a fire under the force and they saw that and they took that opportunity and that really brought them back into the game. Um, mm. But obviously they didn't, they weren't able to do enough to get the victory. It was, I'm just trying to look it up. Um, Okay, well, let's just start with this point, actually. Red card, yes, no? Yes, all day, it has to be. Really? Some people would argue otherwise. The commentators at the time are arguing otherwise. Well, the, the argument against it is that it's an, accidental, um, it's an accidental situation. But it can't be accidental if you've got poor technique. So the well, fact- it, can, it can be accidental and have poor technique. Like, you can. But you've done the wrong thing. By having poor, poor yeah, technique, yeah, yeah. you've done the wrong thing. Yeah, so that therefore- doesn't mean... <laughs> Accidentally, it's like you haven't intended. I don't to... think, yeah, look, no one intends to commit a red card offence. No one goes out there to make head contact or to to shoulder charge someone in the head. I don't think we, we've ever really seen an intent-driven red card other than clear foul play that is stamping, eye-gouging or punching. Those are probably the three situations that we see very rarely in the game these days that I think everyone would be on the same side and agree that that is a red card and there's no other way around it. But the fact in this situation is that Tom Banks has come across in cover defense. He's gone high into the contact. Now you can yeah, say that he's coached to do that and that he's there to try and wrap the ball up and to stop the try. But the, the fact is he's gone into contact standing upright. He's made contact head on head. He's unfortunately come out of the situation a lot worse than Tony Pulu, who's the fourth player with the ball in that he's knocked himself out, fractured his face, and has gone off the field. But he's gone into that contact dangerously by standing upright. Had he done what Jordan Pattaya did in the Reds game and gone low, um, we're looking at a different outcome. Yep. 
I, oh, look, I agree with you. Um, I agree that it's a red card and whether or not you like it or not, by the current framework, it definitely is. Um, I don't think there's any malicious intent within it whatsoever. Um, it was clumsy, partly partly mitigated by the fact that Martielli does kind of step in or at least pulley. brace for the contact. Sorry, sorry, pulley, thank you. Um, does step in and kind of brace for the contact. But that being said, he shouldn't have gone high like that in that particular situation. Um, Jordan Pattaya gave a pretty good example of how you can be ushering a player out yep. with a lower body height, even if in that tackle I'm thinking on Pattaya did have his head on the wrong side and no longer need to ask saying mm. could have come off pretty badly, but he didn't. Yep. Um, so I guess the only, talk- the only comment I will say around this, and I have no issue with this being a red card, and I think it needs to be at the moment because we need to protect player welfare and there's making contact with the head as much as... Uh, it's a dangerous situation for the player with the ball. It's also a dangerous situation for the defending player or the player coming in to make the tackle. And players need to realize that if they're going into contact standing up, they're really giving the referee only two options, whether it's yellow or red. And that's basically dependent on where you make contact with the opposition player. I have no issue with this being a red card because, as I said, I think we need to clean up that area. My issue comes with the judicial process now. I don't think that 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 outcome deserves three or four weeks suspension. Nah, I think not. red He'll card be injured was for enough. more than that anyway. <laughs> well, well, yeah, in this situation, because of the whatever the outcome is of the, the injury, the, the facial fracture, uh, he will potentially be out for longer than that. But if you put those together, I don't think it's a it's it's an amount of games missed that you're able to play. So it could potentially see yeah, him out of the game yeah. for the rest of the year. Um, yeah, quite possibly. But that's that's the issue that I have. That we've we've had a red card. It's poor technique. There's no malicious there. There's no malice there. There's no intent to do that. It is just a, an accident. So, in the game, I agree it needs to be a red card because we need to change behaviour. But I don't agree with it then having to be three or four weeks. I think that the the red card is enough there for that. Yeah, I think I agree. Um, moving on to some other points within the game, the one thing that really impressed me with the force is that they were able to take advantage of that red card or one man advantage and actually scored 21 points to seven in the 20 minute period that um, the Brumbies were down a man. So that was really impressive to see the way that they were able to ramp up the speed and the pace of the game and and take that advantage. We haven't often seen the uh, force be able to kind of dictate the terms of play or the terms of the game. And that was really good to see that development from them. So super well done. Um, And I mean, Mattaielli continues to be the signing of the season. His power and pace within the con through the contact and then once he breaks into space is next to um unsurpassed within the australian conference definitely and maybe even all of super rugby at this point in time he he's just playing absolutely incredibly i can't wait for him to come up against some of the kiwi teams um anything else you want to quickly touch on mate before we do carry on i just think it, as you you did highlight this point but i think it's really important to say that the force were able to score those 21 points when they had the the man advantage. And if we look at the Waratahs and Reds game, the Waratahs yeah. at yeah. for 50 or 35 minutes, 30 minutes thereabouts had two men off the field. Um, yep. Or, yeah, you know what I mean. Um, the timing might not be exactly right, but they weren't able to capitalize on that situation and they weren't able to score a lot of points or put the Reds under a lot of pressure. If anything, the Reds scored tries against them in that period. So the fact that the force were able to do that is a really promising sign for them against the Brumbies, who are the team form in Australia at the moment. So force fans have a lot to be optimistic about in that. But unfortunately, they weren't able to carry that through and the Brumbies still were able to to take it off them at the end. And big congrats to Ryan Lonningen for getting the opening try of the game. Can't go without speaking to him and Andy Muirhead for getting a hat-trick as well. So incredibly well done. He's someone that is sometimes underrated within Mm. Australian rugby, but he consistently proves his worth at a super level. So very well done, Andy Long. May it continue. Um, Why don't we shift ahead now to the next game of the weekend, which was the Highlanders versus the Blues, where the Blues got up 32 to 25. Um, I mean, I don't know how you feel. Do you mind if we just go through these next two QE yep, games fairly quickly yep. before we get to really the game that we all want to talk about, which is the Reds versus the Tars? Um, but Highlanders versus Blues, any key takeaways from that match, mate? Oh, Caleb Clark has played quite well in this game and it, he's come into 2022 really with a point to prove in an All Blacks jersey in his sights. 
And I think in the last few weeks, he's been pushing his the envelope a little bit too far and trying a little bit too hard, getting involved a little bit too much or just making the wrong decision at the wrong time. Um, but this game, he was popping up where he needed to and he was going looking for the ball and he looked really good. So it was good to see him back to some of the form that he was in in 2019. Pretty worrying to see um, Bowden Barrett go off again with concussion uh, only a few weeks after he'd said that he was worried his career might be over because of yeah. concussion symptoms. Um, so that's that's really concerning for him. Well, that's why you know players need to not go high into contact. Yeah, that's part of it yeah so best of luck for him in his recovery i hope he recovers well and is getting the best possible medical advice um yeah. giving him guidance about his um his future and i hope i just genuinely hope he recovers well with no it's a, yeah uh, it's a really big impact it's a big decision isn't it because you don't want to push the envelope too far in that situation you don't want to push on and try and make the world cup next year and then have lasting damage in the in yep. the long term because we already have yep. seen for Bowden Barrett that in the off season he got a he similar to Dane Hallett-Petty, got a concussion at the end of last year and has still had concussion symptoms up into early January February this year. Yeah, yeah, it's big, isn't it? So I mean, let's hope that he is able to come well, um, come good from that. Um, look, aside from that, it was a pretty even game. Um, the fact that i mean possession was 56 44 territory 52 48 there wasn't really a huge amount separating these teams at all i was just stoked that mitchell hunt actually did something and got me a bunch of points for my fantasy team <laughs> as well so <laughs> there's a lot to be said for that um anything else you want to touch on before we move on uh, i could say one thing but i don't i think we'll just move on because we I want right. to keep this short. Let's keep on going. Um, Chiefs versus the Crusaders. Chiefs had an opportunity to make it two in a row against the Crusaders. And whilst they looked good in patches, they ultimately weren't able to be consistent in a pressure that they were putting on the Crusaders, particularly in the wide defense. Will Jordan had an absolute blinder carving up down the right-hand wing and he was really in some ways the point of difference between these two teams and the Saders came out 34 to 19 victors against the Chiefs. Quick comments and takeaways from that game mate? Uh, I didn't get to see a lot of this game because I was on my way to Suncorp for the, the following game but um, not surprised by the result I think. A lot of talk up around the Chiefs and people were hoping that maybe they might be able to beat the Crusaders Again, uh, second time in a row, but I don't think anyone gets to do that in the same year. If you beat the Crusaders <laughs> once, you've got 10 years before you can beat them again. Look, um, the thing that just amazed me was how effectively the Crusaders were just able to kind of close out the match in the second half. I mean, you did have uh, Ratima get a 71st-minute try for the Chiefs, but that was after both Reese and Flanga and Nuku had scored in the 58th and 63rd minute to really put the game beyond doubt at that point in time. So it was, it was a good performance from the Crusaders, really able to kind of just turn the screws on a team that potentially could have been challenging them um, as the form team within the uh, New Zealand half of the mm. competition. Yeah. So we move forward to the final game of the round, which was the Reds versus the Waratahs, where the Reds came away pretty convincing victors, 32 to 20, against what is or was admittedly a pretty significantly understrength Waratahs lineup. But that being said, the Reds, without a shadow of a doubt, were good for their win, uh, particularly their ability to... Um, keep the Waratahs relatively scoreless. I think we only scored three points within the period where they were down one to two men. So look, there's a lot that can be said about this game, but what were a couple of your takeaways before we kind of dive a bit deeper into it? I mean, how good is Tani Tupo? That bloke so alone good. could have pushed so the Waratahs pack off that ball. Yeah. Uh, right uh, admittedly, it wasn't our starting, starting front row except for Dave Barecki. It's a seven-man scrum and they push us off our own ball and win the turnover. True. I mean, that's yep, just true. impressive. That is impressive. Uh, seven men against eight. Well done to Taniela Tupo. And you could just see that that's what that's what Brad Thorne has instilled in this side, that he just, that sort of mongrel and that underdog, when, they're, when their back's up against the wall, when everything's going against them, that's when they thrive. And you could see it in the players and their reactions when they got up from that scrum penalty. They were just so ecstatic. Um, and unfortunate for a Waratahs fan to be sitting there and to see that happen, but, you know, you've you got to love it. Yeah, look, we, we said it actually at the beginning of the season that the problem with the Waratahs isn't their starting 15, it's the 16 to 23. Um, 
the fact that Bell gets pulled before the match, you take Harry Johnson Holmes out of the starting lineup and move him across to reserve, we said, just means that you don't have a, a particularly strong starting scrum. As much as I like Ruan Smith and Tetra Faulkner, they they're not that Good. Well, they're, they're not, not going sixty. To rug- they're not sixty-minute Super Rugby players, unfortunately. They well, you did see um Harry Johnson Holmes come on at like the fiftieth minute, which is a bit earlier than what you see from most uh, reserve props. Yeah, but gen- yeah, generally a prop comes on around sixty minutes. Like they'll play, yep. you you get twenty minutes in the second half. But those blokes, Tetra Faulkner and Ruan Smith, can hold up a scrum towards the end when they're against a, a tired pack. But I just don't think they had the the emphasis early on when they start. And that was yep. one of the interesting things that the Waratahs were trying to do this week. And we've seen this in the last few weeks is that we haven't had that impact on from the bench. So Darren Coleman and the, the coaching staff at New South Wales were trying to counteract that by shifting some of the reserve players into the starting side and giving them a crack early and then bringing that power off the bench later in the half. And I don't think it worked in this game. I didn't think the likes of Harry Johnson Holmes had a mind play, Jed Holloway, um, who else came off the bench? Those are the main two. It would have been Angus Bell before he was pulled. That's true. Yeah. So outside of that, I think Archie Holtz came on as well, um, who's still a development player. So it just didn't seem to work. The play they they came on and they did well and they played their parts well, but it wasn't enough of an impact on a, an already struggling side to be able to lift them and have the impact that I think that they were wanting um, to try and change the tide a bit. And the Waratahs were well in this game right up until that. Jock Campbell intercept try where they run run away with it with about 15 minutes to go. I think from that point on, it really sort of blew the tires out. And you could see the Waratahs were hot on attack. Tane Edmund throws that offload. Um, Jock Campbell's in the line and just takes off with it. And you could just see the tires sort of deflate and the players' heads started to drop. Yep. Yeah, well, there's a lot. It's really interesting in that despite the fact that the Reds ended up being somewhat comfortable victors, they really didn't play a particularly good game. They weren't particularly polished. And it's actually quite a credit to them in some ways that they were able to, despite not being um, in their best form, getting a red card, having a yellow as well uh, over that same period. They were still able to pull out the win. I mean, in the first few minutes of the game, they're missing like two to three lineouts in the first 20 minutes. And then a couple of the ones that they even did get was really sloppy ball off the top of the lineout. They weren't able to take it cleanly and launch an attack from it. Yeah. Um, one interesting point is that a lot of people are talking up the game that Mark Nwongan Tiwase had for the Tars on the wing. Um, I, I obviously rate him in attack. He was really solid under the high ball and played quite well when he had a little bit of room to move on the wing. But if you go back and take a look at the play right before Tate McDermott gets his try off the back of the Reds mall, uh, it's in the 25th minute and James O'Connor gets a 50-22, if you remember that. Yep. And... You see, as soon as O'Connor is lining up for the ball, Harrison starts sprinting across from the other side of the field because he sees a 50-22 opportunity, absolutely legging it, right? And then Noangani Tawase, not sure if he's just been involved in the previous um, Iraq involvement a few phases beforehand, but he's the one that's meant to be covering that 50-22 opportunity. He's just, it's somewhat nonchalantly maybe trying to walk off a a big hit or something. something. I, I don't know what, I mean, Cramp it in 25th minute, you probably hope not. Um, and he's just halfway jogging back. And there's this element of his game that still needs to be developing in terms of his defensive positioning. And whilst, yeah, everybody should justifiably be giving him raps for his attacking prowess on the weekend, he the fact that he's not back there at that point in time covering that, and Harrison is the one that's seen the danger from the other side of the field and is sprinting across to try and negate it and ultimately ends up missing it, um, really just says a lot to where Nwangani uh, say still needs to be improving. And I think that's a bit of a, a trend in this team at the moment that we've got, we had... Parisi out in Sydney, couldn't travel because he's got COVID. We then have Jamie Roberts, who starts at 12. We shift... Who uh, Who is 13? Fichetti. 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 We put him into to 13. Um, and we've got Tane Edmed. Harrison stays at 10, uh, at 15, and Tane Edmed comes into the starting side at 10. We've got so many different players, and, and the Wanganu Wasi as well comes onto the wing for his first start of the year. We've got so many changes in that back line. That these players, as whilst they've been training together in the Waratahs, from all reports, they're actually training against each other. 
So mm-hmm. Nwangani Dawasi has been in sort of the reserve grade side for the majority of the year. And so that means that they actually train against the starting side for most of the week. So he doesn't actually have the experience of playing with those players and, and getting the calls and getting the, the familiarization with the way that um, they line up defensively and all those sort of things. And that's where we sort of started to see the, the cracks coming in the Waratahs. Um, as you said, Harrison's running across from the other side of the field and he's not able to, to carry the message across to, say, cover that wing. Um, with Ben Donaldson there and 10 and Harrison at 15, they just sort of seem to have this uh, almost like mental link that they just know where things need to happen and where the ball needs to go. Um, and without that, Tane Edmund did play quite well this week and he did a lot of yeah, good things. Good. Yeah, he was good. But they, that, they don't uh... have that combination that Ben Donaldson and, and Will Harrison have that I think we yeah. really missed. Yeah, I mean, if you look at some of the injuries that we had, they were quite significant without Donaldson, um, Harrison for the second half. I didn't even hear specifically what injury he received. He didn't play any minute of the second half. Um, yeah, so in the, in the press conference, away. I think Jason Gilmore said that he had a calf injury that he's had an, an issue with earlier in the year in the preseason. And okay. so he came off with some tightness in that area in the, at halftime and they said that they wanted to manage his workload and just not push him too far um yeah. knowing what's coming with up. donaldson's injury you'd be thinking that as well yeah exactly so they, um that's why they made that change and also not having Parisi there i mean whilst um jamie roberts did play well uh i think that the combination between Fichetti and parisi is tried and tested and it's better to have those two than to have roberts starting mm. um one of the a couple of quick points I wanted to make um there was a really crucial point in the match directly before um, Taniela Tupo's try. Um, it is 13 all. Okay. So we're looking at about the 51st or 52nd minute. From the 53rd minute until the 63rd, the Tars give away six penalties. And Taniela Tupo scores a try in the 54th, takes it to 18 13. O'Connor gets a conversion, 20 to 13. And then immediately after this period, McWright gets another try to take it to 25-13 to put the game uh, pretty close to out of reach. Pretty close to out of reach. And it's just the lack of capacity for the Waratahs to have a semblance of control over the game and to eliminate these stupid niggly um, errors from their game, things like uh, not rolling away in the contact and just slight uh, offsides that come either from um, not putting enough, basically a lack of fitness or just not being switched on completely in that moment. There's still room for improvement within this Waratahs team that show that despite the pleasing progress that has been made throughout the season, they just can't compete across the full 80 minutes with a team that is as good as the Reds are, even on a bad night. Yeah, exactly. And I think that combined with the injuries and the changes in the personnel that we actually had on the yep. field, Darren Coleman's also not come up with them. He's in Sydney as well as a close contact. So he's not there to do the coaching on the day. It's a very disrupted preparation. Um, the fact that we were so close up until the 60th minute, I was really impressed with. I was waiting for the Reds to really run away with it. And there was a lot of errors that the Reds made in that first half that were uncharacteristic of them. And the Waratahs yeah. needed to punish them a lot more than they did. Um, and I think at full strength, they would have done that. If we had the likes of Bell, uh, Hooper, Gordon, Donaldson back on the field, it's a completely different lineup and we've yep. got a different game on our hands. Uh, the fact is the Reds were able to run away with it at the end there when we had our tired, inexperienced players on. Um, it's unfortunate from a Waratahs perspective, but on the flip side, the Reds did really well to do that and to take the scruff of the game back and put it in their favor when they knew that they weren't playing well, but they mm. still found ways to win. Yep. Yep. Agreed. Um, final thing I'll quickly say about the Tate McDermott red card. I'm pretty confident that the Dane Zander one was a straight red and there's no real complaints in yep. my mind there. Um, do, any Anything on the Zander one just quickly? Like 10 oh, it's, second it's, take? It's similar to the Banks one. Like players, if players are going into contact, as I said before, there's only two, going into contact standing upright. There is only going to be two outcomes and it's dependent and it's just luck on where you actually make contact with the player. Yep. You're always you're going to make contact with the head or you're not going to wrap your arm around enough and it's going to be deemed a yellow card. So yep. um you're you're asking for a card when you do that because you're basically hoping 
in that instance that the, it gets mitigated down from a red to a yellow because the, the tackled player has fallen or has gone low into contact. Yep. But if okay. you're standing upright, you've made the mistake initially. Cool. Tate McDermott, yellow card? Yep. Yeah, cool. In my mind, yes. And with the greatest love to Sean Maloney, love his work, but he was claiming during the, um, during the match that Uru's there in cover. So it doesn't matter that it was kind of uh, him trying to kill a uh, an attacking opportunity. It doesn't matter that there's a cover, cover yeah, player. I think that's, the cover player matters if you're trying to claim it's a penalty try. And that's right. It, it yeah, doesn't think... matter in this case in point because it's still foul play. Yes, exactly. And I think Shawnee was confused in his thinking of the situation where it's a, a try scoring opportunity. And mm. in that instance, that's when they start looking at the cover defense and if we're going for a penalty try yeah, or not. Correct. But yep. if you make a play at the ball and you're not in a reasonable, you know, we're able to, to regather that ball, then yep. it's going to be a yellow card and it doesn't have to be only a penalty. It, it, it's it's going to be a yellow card if you played it without making any attempt. The thing I will say, the reason I, I believe this one is correct and why it should be a yellow card and why people are saying, oh, he didn't play at the ball intentionally. <laughs> yes, well, <he> did. <laughs> first of all, it's the exact same that Curly Beal did earlier in the uh, last year. Um, by playing at the ball when he's going to wrap in a tackle. But if he was making a real concerted effort to regather the ball, which would be the only way that we, he probably would have been mitigated down to a penalty, yeah. was if he actually moved his feet towards where the ball landed. The fact is that yeah. he made contact with the ball and kept drifting um, back towards the players to make the tackle. So he's not in any way trying to regather that ball at all. Yeah, and look, his arms are unnaturally wide when he's making a tackle. Like every single player knows what they're doing, having their arms wide, trying to like make the tackle when really they're just trying to get in the way of whatever the pass is coming in the most unobtrusive way possible <laughs> to minimise the risk. Yeah. But he knew what they were doing and either way the Reds were able to um, really control the, well, not control, but at least withstand the Waratahs attack during that period to reduce it only to six points whilst, yep. whilst they had those players off the field. So, look, I think that kind of wraps it up. Um, one of the things I'd really like to say looking forward to next week is that if you are not watching the Super W Waratahs match against the Fijiana and Drua, then you are doing the wrong thing with your weekend. That's top of the table match, and it's going to be an absolutely incredible game. Yeah, fantastic. I think it's going to be a great, um, a great round. It's it's a top-of-the-table clash for the women. And also, do make sure that you hang around afterwards because the Waratahs do play the Fijian in Drua on the Gold Coast that week. And Michael Hooper, from all reports, is going to be back for the Waratahs. So mm-hmm. I'm sure all Australian rugby fans want to tune in to see how he goes. So that'll be on Friday afternoon slash evening for those two games. So make sure that you get involved and catch them out. They'll be absolutely fantastic. Anything else you want to touch on before we fit? Oh, we have a listener question that we want to quickly Ooh. touch on before we go. Yep. So this one is from listener Benno, who's from Manly in Sydney. So good to have, I'm assuming it's Manly in Sydney. I think there's a Manly in Queensland. There is actually. Yeah, well. there is. Okay. <laughs> I'm assuming he's in Manly. We'll see. Um, love the pod, guys. What do you think? Why do you think the crowds are so down this far into the season? Have court matches both here in Sydney and in Canberra. A little disappointing in atmosphere. Should more be done in advertising or promotion? Uh, you were at the game on Saturday for the Reds. Yep. What do you think of the crowd there? Uh, I was disappointed, actually. I, I thought that the Reds are the team of Australian rugby at the moment. Suncorp is the fortress where the Wallabies are undefeated for however many years ask a Queensland fan it's 20 um I was expecting there to be like a big crowd going to the game it did rain right up until kickoff but it only rained for about 20 minutes like I got wet walking from one end of Caxton Street to the other but prior to that it wasn't raining um all day so I don't really think that there's an excuse to say that the weather was bad and people didn't turn up um they didn't even have the top two levels of the stadium open. So you couldn't even go there, which was annoying because we had seats in the rain. So we tried to get upstairs to try and get out of the rain and they told us we weren't allowed to go up there. It was all closed, um, <laughs> which was unfortunate. And I think that I watched the NRL the day after that was played that afternoon, the Sunday afternoon, and they had all three levels open and nearly full. So there is still interest in in other games and people are willing to go out to games and things in Brisbane, but for some reason we're just not getting um, the interest of the rugby. I will say about the overall experience, 
Um, the Reds do a lot more to create an experience for the fans at the games than the Waratahs do. They had this great light show at halftime, which was like a fireworks show, and they dim the lights, and there's you know all kinds of laser things going off. It was pretty cool. How cool that we don't do in Sydney, which is fantastic. But from an actual game perspective, they didn't have the referee or the TMO mic'd up, so every time there was a stoppage in play, we didn't know what was happening. Um, yeah, and okay. when they had the red card and yellow card conversation, we heard as fans in the stands, we heard nothing of what was going on. So we didn't even know he was talking about a red card until he walked over towards Dane Zander and held the red card up. So that's at least <laughs> oh one God, thing okay. they do in Sydney that is probably something they could do or look to do in, in Brisbane to create a bit more atmosphere is just project what the referees are saying so that the fans know what's happening. Um, but apart from that, like it was, it was a different experience than going to the Waratahs games in Sydney. Um, but I think the issue comes down, like Benno suggests, to advertising and marketing. Uh, walking back to our Airbnb after the game, we I we went past about four or five different groups of blokes who were obviously out for Saturday night drinks. Um, saw we were wearing Waratahs uh, jerseys and sort of said, "Oh, the Waratahs playing tonight!" Like they didn't even know. They didn't even know that just around a corner. The Reds yeah. were playing. That's crazy. Exactly. So um, I think the this issue comes about promoting the game and really uh, making people aware that the game's on and who's playing and that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, cool. And I think that's fair. I mean, it'll be cool to do a bit of an off-season conversation about some of the challenges that Australian rugby is facing in terms of fan engagement and crowd, um, crowd composition and crowd attitudes. That'll be a really interesting deep dive, I reckon. Uh, but for now, I think we might leave that there. We've chatted for a long time. It's been highly enjoyable and I'm glad to have you back in the state, Mitch. It's been a bit different without you here, buddy. One more New South Wales fan, not in Queensland. <laughs> All right, mate. Well, it's been a pleasure. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for staying with us to this point in the pod. Hope you have an awesome week and we'll catch you next time. Bye. Awesome. Bye.